today we're wrapping up a series called Prophets. Somebody say Prophets. Prophets as in great men of God who have accomplished great things. And uh, if you haven't been here for the other weeks, that's okay. Every week is its own story. But these are stories where we're looking at the lives of Elijah and Elisha. These are two of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. And so we're going to be in the book of 2 Kings chapter 6 today. And uh, this is a story, it's a little bit strange. Uh, You've probably not heard a sermon on this story before. It's a little bit obscure. It's a little bit weird. Uh, How many of you know the Bible's got some like out there stories? Yeah? Uh, Yeah, I see some of you guys are like, yeah, I read some weird stuff. Okay, listen, it's all inspired, but that doesn't mean it's not weird from time to time. Okay, stuff happens in the Bible. It's crazy. So this is a story. You probably have not heard a sermon about it, but uh, just to give you a little bit of recap here. The first week, we talked about Elijah calling down fire from heaven. It was this amazing story. Uh, The second week in the series, we talked about Elisha, the successor of Elijah. And he uh, had this cool moment with a widow who was in need, and her oil was multiplied, and it provided for her in a moment of crisis, in a moment of need. And last week, we talked about a story where Elisha and his servant were surrounded by an enemy army. And what happened was, uh, Elisha saw something that his servant did not see. He saw that even though there was an army surrounding him, God sent his own army to defend Elisha and his servant. And so today, this is a little bit of a similar story to last week. We're going to be here in 2 Kings 6. If you have your Bible, you can read. If not, it'll be on the screen. We're going to start in verse 24. This is the verse right after where we left last week. So we're picking right up here with the story. It says, Sometime later, King Ben-Hadad of Aram, this is the same enemy from last week, brought all his military units together and marched up and laid siege to Samaria. So let's pause here. Okay, so this is the same army from last week. Remember, this was the army that surrounded Elisha in his village because he was stopping the king of Aram's plans. And so the king of Aram tried to kill Elisha. And so immediately after that, we come to this verse here where it says, sometime later, the king attacked again. Now, we don't know how much time later, but we see that the enemy is once again after the people of God. And so he surrounds the the area. It's a a city called Samaria. It's one of the, the major cities in northern Israel, the capital of northern Israel. And so the enemy comes again against the people of God. And in this story today, I want to talk to you about how you and I respond when the enemy attacks again. See, you and I as followers of Jesus, as those who have been following Jesus, maybe some of you for a few days, weeks, months, some of you for years and decades, but wherever you're at in your life, it doesn't take long to realize 
that oftentimes when God rescues us from the enemy, sometimes it's not too long until the enemy attacks again. The enemy comes after us yet again because he sees the calling of God. He sees the destiny on our life. And so it says that sometime later, he attacks again. Now today in this message, I want to give you hope and give you confidence. Now we haven't read the end of the story yet, but I'm guessing you can tell that God doesn't say, well, I had a victory for you guys the first time, but I'm all out of victories the second time. You know, I, I, had, I had one good fight in me, but, you know, I used up my one good one. I used that one up yesterday. You're on your own today. No, church, today I want to talk to you about how when the enemy attacks again, God has fresh victories in store for us every day. You see, sometimes in the fight, you and I step into some sort of victory And it feels like things are going well for a little while, but then the enemy comes in again. And there's a temptation to say, well, yeah, but what God did was back there. What God did was in the past, and now today I'm on my own. And today I want to tell you not just about what the enemy's doing, but I want to tell you about what God wants to do in your life. And let me tell you what God wants to do in your life is not just rescue you from yesterday's enemy. He wants to rescue you from today's enemy all the same. See, the enemy comes again. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians, he said, we are not unaware of the enemy's devices. We are not unaware of the enemy's schemes. When Jesus was being tempted by the devil in the wilderness. It says, I can't remember if it's Matthew or Luke, it's one of those two. It says that when the, when the devil left Jesus, Jesus passed the temptation, it says that the enemy left him until an opportune time. See, the enemy, even though he faces a setback, he faces a defeat, he will look for another opportunity to come. So I want to keep reading here. 2 Kings 6, verse 25. It says, So there was a severe famine in Samaria, and they continued the siege against it until a donkey's head sold for 34 ounces of silver and a cup of dove's dung sold for two ounces of silver. Can I get an amen out there? Come on, I'm preaching. I'm just laying my life on the line up here. Come on, y'all. As the king of Israel was passing by, a woman cried out to him, My lord, the king, help. And he answered, If the lord doesn't help you, where can I get help for you? Okay, so some of you are like, I don't even know what's happening right now. What did you just read? Okay, so here's what happens. When an enemy would attack a city, oftentimes what they would do is they would surround the entire city. A siege, that's right. And what they would do is they would try and overcome either smashing their way through the gates or scaling the walls, whatever they could do to get inside the city. But if for whatever reason they were unable to break in, what they would do is they would set up a siege all the way around and they'd say, you know what, we'll just wait them out. Because if we surround the city, nobody can come and go, there's no trade. And in the cities, there's no farms, the farms are outside the city. And so if we can't attack them, we'll wait them out until they starve. This is what 
ancient warfare was about oftentimes. And so they, they set up this, this encampment all around the city, similar to last week, right, when Elisha is surrounded. So, so there's this siege all the way around the city, and the famine was so severe, it says a donkey's head sold for 34 ounces of silver. Can I just ask a question? What do you even do with a donkey's head? Like, what, what do you even eat on a donkey's head? Does anybody have Pinterest recipes for donkey head? <laughs> All right. So at least we have somebody that knows how to use donkey head. What about dove's dung? Anybody? <laughs> I hope not. If you've had it, come on up after service. We will pray for you. We will lay hands on you that the Lord rescues you from whatever it is that's happening. <laughs> So like we don't even we don't even know I don't even know what is happening. It says 34 ounces of silver. Now, 34 ounces is over two pounds of silver. So I, I did some some research here. Today, one ounce of silver, one ounce is $24. So 34 ounces over two pounds is something worth more than $800 in today's money for a donkey head. So this famine is so severe, it gets to a point where literally people start eating their children like it's cannibalism. They're like selling everything just for a donkey head. Like it's, it's a total mess. So they're in a for real dark place. My hope is that none of you have been in that quite of a dark place. But chances are, if not today, at some point in your life, you will get to a point where you feel like you don't know what to do, where you're surrounded, where you don't know how to get out of it. There's no way to resolve the situation that you're in. And the king here, we don't have time to read it. It's this whole long story. The king here, he is so upset about it. This guy who's supposed to represent God to the people the king instead gets mad at God, and you know what the king tries to do? He tries to kill Elisha. He tries to kill God's prophet because he's so mad at the Lord for not responding. Some of you are like, Joey, this is the weirdest sermon I've ever heard in my entire life. So here's what we see here. So the king, he sends his captain or his right-hand guy, we're not really sure who it is, some sort of official, he sends him to kill Elisha. And so we're going to pick up here in chapter 7, verse 1. Now, this is the same story. Remember, there's no uh, chapter divisions when the Bible was written. The Bible was not written with chapters and verses. We added that later. So 2 Kings 7, 1 says, Elisha replies to the man who's supposed to kill him. He says, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow at Samaria's gate, six quarts of fine flour will sell for half an ounce of silver, and 12 quarts of barley will sell for half an ounce of silver. So this guy, he comes to take out Elisha, and Elisha says, no, let me tell you what God's word is. Let me tell you what God is saying. And of course, it's this crazy provision that what took 34 ounces of silver for a donkey's head is now half an ounce of silver for grain and barley, and it's this provision. 
But I want to focus here first on this first sentence that Elisha says. I want you to look at that there. It says, Elisha replied, hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of God for you today. Church, in a moment of crisis, there are few things that matter more than you and I hearing the word of the Lord. In fact, if you do one thing well in a crisis, let it be that you know how to hear God's voice. You see, it's Elisha who, in the story from last week, could see what other people didn't see that gave him faith for the moment that he was in. In this story, very similar. It's that Elisha could hear what other people were not able to hear, and it's because of what he heard that he had faith. My question for you today, church, is what are you hearing? What are you listening to today? What are the things that you spend your time listening to? See, the problem is, in a crisis, like the king of Israel, like the people in the town of Samaria, some of us are so busy listening to other things that we have not properly heard the word of the Lord. Church, you and I have to hear God's voice in this season. We have to. We have to. There's no substitute for the voice of God. And so many of us are anxious, we're burnt out, we're afraid, we're weary, we're, we're not sure what the future holds. And I'm telling you, all of that is rooted in the fact that maybe we have not heard the voice of God. And let me tell you, church, if you hear the voice of God, it's only ever good news. But see, for too long we have heard other voices, and they're not always bad voices, they're not always bad things. It's just that our, our, our ears are so full of other voices. Our ears are so full of other things, and, and we have not quite heard the voice of God. Here's what Jesus says in Luke 8. He says, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Now here's, here's why this verse is powerful. Because it's this simultaneous great news and warning at the same time. He says, you have to steward how you hear. What does that mean? What does that mean? It, mean, it means that if you have ears, take time to hear, take time to listen, and then respond accurately to the word that is heard. You know, a lot of people that they talk about stewardship, right? We should steward our finances. We should steward our time. We should steward the, the gifts, the talents, the abilities that God has given us. And all of that is great and wonderful. But let me tell you, way more important than any of that is you and I first learning how to steward the voice of God. Because it's how you steward that voice which determines whether or not you get more given to you or you get more taken away from you. 
And it's as you and I learn to say, God, what are you saying in this moment? God, what is your word in this hour? God, we are surrounded by enemies on all sides. God, we don't know how to get out of this situation. What we need in this moment is people who can say, I've heard the voice of God. Church, we have enough people who say, I've heard what CNN says. We have enough people who say, I've heard what Fox News says. We have enough people who say, I've heard what Facebook says. We need people in this moment who say, I've been in God's presence, and let me tell you the word of the Lord for 2020. Church, hear the word of the Lord. Hear it. I like how Elisha doesn't just give him the word. He says, first, I want you to hear it. You must hear the word of God. Church, in this moment, in this desperate hour, we need people with prophetic insight. You see, this is what the prophets are all about. This is what the prophets do. They're people who not just do great miracles and accomplish great things. They're those who make time to be in God's presence. Remember what we said about Elijah back in week one. Elijah said, I represent the God of Israel in whose presence I stand. See, it's about spending that time in the presence of God to make space to hear his voice, to tune out the noise, to tune out the other voices, and to say, I need to hear God's voice. And you know what happens when we do that? What we hear is good news. What we hear is that by this time tomorrow, six quarts of grain for half an ounce of silver, 12 quarts of barley for half an ounce of silver. What does that mean? It means that there's going to be such a provision, right? I, I don't know economics, but, but I know that there's some sort of abundance of supply, right? It's all supply and demand, and that as the supply increases, the price decreases. And so what God is saying is this. I know you're anxious. I know you're worried. I know you don't see how it's going to work out. But I've heard the word of the Lord. And guess what? It's good news. I've heard the word of the Lord. And guess what? It's only provision. It's only life. It's only rescue. It's only salvation. Church, let me tell you today. I've heard the word of the Lord, and it's good news for your life. It's good news for this hour. It's good news for 2020. He says there will be an abundance that will come. Verse 2 says this, Then the captain, the king's right-hand man, responded to the man of God. He said, look, not a good way to start talking to the prophet. Look, Even if the Lord were to make windows in heaven, could this really happen? Then Elisha said, behold, you are going to see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat any of it. You will see it with your own eyes, but because of your unbelief, you won't eat any of it. Now, we don't have time. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the story later on, but long story short, he doesn't get to eat any of it. So, If I can give you two steps today for navigating crisis, number one, hear the word of the Lord, and number two, believe it when you hear it. Believe it. 
believe the word of the Lord. The problem is, for most of us, we can't even get to the believing because we haven't spent enough time hearing. And yet this man did hear, and he still didn't believe. He wasn't able to believe. He says, even if God were to make windows in heaven. Now, I looked up this phrase. It only occurs just a couple times in the Old Testament. The only time it's used before this is in Genesis 7, and it refers to the flood. When God opened up the windows of heaven and and rain came out on the earth. Now he says, even if God were to open up windows in heaven and instead of rain gave us this miraculous provision, even if that could happen, I mean, is God really going to do that for us? I mean, haven't you seen the army that's surrounding us? Are you sure God can really do it? And it was because of this man's unbelief that he did not receive the promise that God had for him. It was because of his unbelief that he was disqualified from receiving the provision. And here's why this is crucial. I want you to hear me, church. This is very crucial. Your ability to receive provision from the Lord is contingent upon, it's dependent upon, you and I believing in God to provide. See, this man didn't believe God would provide, and so God didn't provide for him. But for those who believed, God provided. See, church, belief in the word of God, belief when God speaks a word, it's our belief in that word that qualifies us to receive it when it comes to pass. It's not enough to just hear. Hearing is crucial. Hearing is key. It's foundational. But if you and I do not join believing with the hearing... You and I will not step into the provision that God has for our lives. See, belief is like a key. And God says, I'm giving you this key, and if you'll receive it, if you'll believe it, then this key will open the door of provision that I have prepared for you. The problem is, too many of us, we don't believe. Yeah, maybe God rescued us yesterday, Yeah, God took care of some stuff in 2019. He took care of some stuff in 2018. But you don't know about 2020. And Elisha says you must hear the word and you must believe the word. Church, I know these are hard times. But let me tell you, God has a good word for you today. And the choice is ours. The choice is ours. Will we believe the word? Or will we like The king of Israel's right-hand man, will we doubt the word? You see, these are the leaders of Israel. This is the king and his right-hand man. These, These are those who should be leading the way. They should be leading the way for the people. And yet their hearts are full of despair. They've given up hope. See, despair, it's a dark place. Some of you would say, I... I've been in a place or two in my life of despair. You know what despair is? Despair is a kind of belief. It's a kind of belief where you say, I know what will happen, and it's not good. Despair is a way of saying, I know how this thing turns out, and it's not going to work out for us. Here's what Chris Vallotton says. He says, fear is faith in the wrong God. 
See, fear is a kind of belief. Doubt is a kind of belief. Despair is a kind of belief. But it's a kind of belief in the enemy's power instead of the Lord's. See, despair happens when we have more faith in the enemy's word than in God's word. Despair happens when we have more confidence in the enemy's plans than in the Lord's plans. Despair happens when we said, I believe the power of the enemy more than I believe the power of God. And so they had given in to despair. But the prophet's word will still come to pass. Here's what it says in verse 3. So finally, we're going to get to the victory here. It says, now four men with leprosy were at the entrance to the city gate. And they said to each other, why just sit here until we die? If we say, let's go into the city, we'll die there because there's famine in the city. But if we sit here, we'll also die. So now, come on, let's surrender to the Arameans' camp. If they let us live, we will live. If they kill us, we will die. So these, these guys basically have nothing to lose. They're sitting outside the city, and they're like, we can't go in the city because they're eating dove poop and donkey heads. No point going there. If we just sit here, we're going to die anyways. Maybe we'll go to the Arameans. Maybe they'll have some mercy, some compassion. I don't know. So the diseased men got up at twilight, and they go to the Arameans' camp. When they came to the camp's edge, they discovered that no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Aramean camp to hear the sound of horses, chariots, and a large army. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Hello, old friends from last week. The Arameans said to each other, The king of Israel must have hired the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to attack us. So they had gotten up and they fled at twilight, abandoning their tents, horses, and donkeys. The camp was intact and they had fled for their lives. Verse 8, when these leprous men came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent to eat and drink. I love that these guys are like, let's get the party started. They're not wasting any time. They picked up the silver, the gold, and the clothing, and they went off and hid them. They came back and entered another tent, picked up things and hid them. But then they said to each other, what we're doing is not right. Today is a day of good news. Somebody say good news. Come on, somebody say good news. So these lepers, they just, they just start partying. They're like, all right, you get that tent. I'm taking this one. Let's get the wine. Let's start eating some really good food. They just start partying. And then they realize, you know what? This probably isn't a good idea. This isn't right. Today's a day of good news. They decide that instead of hoarding it for themselves, they're going to go tell the king of Israel because if they didn't, they'd probably get in trouble anyways. So they go tell the king and all the people rush out, and there's this miraculous provision from the Lord. It says here, that there was a sound of horses, chariots, and a large army. Now, we talked in the very beginning here about how the enemy came up again to besiege Samaria. The king of the Arameans came up again to attack the people of God. 
And I love this story, especially right after last week. And I wanted to do this intentionally because it shows us a pattern here that even though the enemy rises up again, so does the Lord to rescue his people. And let me tell you some good news today, church. As long as the enemy has an army to attack you, the Lord has an army to defend you. He does. It's not like he did something back then, but he's all out of strength today. Church, his arm is not too short. His strength has not failed. His ear has not stopped hearing. His eyes have not stopped seeing. And as long as the enemy rises up again and again, our God rises up again and again to defend us from the enemies that come against us. Church, this is what our God does. He's not intimidated. He's not afraid. And it doesn't matter how many times the enemy comes against you. The Lord has horses, chariots, and a large army to defend you and to fight on your behalf. I love it. There's a sound of horses and chariots, and they run. And the good thing about this story is that this time, they leave all their stuff behind. They leave it all behind. This enemy is surrounding them, and God says, here I am. I'm still here. I'm still faithful. I'm still on your side. Another cool thing about this story is that God rescues the people in spite of the unbelief of Israel's leadership. If you remember the story of Jonah and the people of Nineveh, it says that God had mercy on Nineveh because the king of Nineveh humbled himself. He fasted. He told all the people they had to fast. They even made the animals fast. And then Nineveh was saved. In this story, the victory is totally by grace. The king, he doesn't believe in God. He's mad at God. He tries to kill the prophet. And yet sometimes God shows up, not because we deserve it, not because we did anything to earn it, but simply because it's who our God is. God shows up and he rescues simply because he has joined himself to us completely by grace. And I love that in this story, The messengers of the victory are four lepers. Lepers. People that nobody wanted to be around. In fact, they were outside the city because they weren't supposed to be inside the city. They're just men who are left to die. Men who have nothing to lose. They have nothing to earn. They can't do anything. They're just out there, probably going to die. And yet it's these lepers who, because they have nothing to lose, they step into the victory that God won, and these four lepers become heralds and messengers of the victory of God. It's incredible. These guys that nobody wanted, these guys that were outcasts, all of a sudden they step into the victory of God and they become messengers of good news. They become messengers of what God had done. The lepers didn't fight. They didn't attack anybody. They didn't show up with swords. They weren't like some super ninja assassins that won the victory. They just showed up. 
They just showed up and they stepped into what God had already done. And I don't want you to misunderstand this message today, church. And I'm wrapping this up here in just a moment. I don't want you to misunderstand. This sermon and all of these sermons are not about you and I working really hard to win the victory. This is not about you and I just gritting our teeth and all of a sudden trying to straighten our shoulders and pull them back and you know, lifting our chin up high and plowing into the enemy's camp. No, today is a sermon that's all about believing enough to step into what God has already done on your behalf. Church, he's already done it. He's already won the battle. He's already driven the enemy out. All that's left is for you and I to believe and to step into the victory that God has prepared for us. I'm not asking you to do it. I'm not asking you to fight the battle. All I'm asking you is to believe in the victory of God. That's all I'm saying. Just believe that he can do it and step into the victory. Because today is a day of good news the victory. Today is a day of believing in the good work that God has done on your behalf. That word good news, it's the Hebrew equivalent of the Greek word for gospel. It's the word of good news. Today is a day of good news, the lepers say. Today is a day of good news, and we must tell the people. We must tell the people what God has done. Church, today, I came here to tell you some good news. And listen, I'm not anybody special. I'm not somebody. I'm just a guy who came to give you good news. I'm just a guy who came to tell you what God has already done on your behalf. And let me tell you what God has done today. Today, God has not driven out the Arameans. Today, God has not conquered some foreign army. Today, God has conquered the enemies of sin, death, and the grave. Today, God has triumphed over the sin that held you captive. Today, God has rescued us with his love. Church, today is a day of good news. Today is a day of good news, not because he triumphed over some random Middle Eastern army. No, today is a day of good news because he saved your soul. Today is a good day because he rescued you from the powers of darkness. Today is a good day because Jesus has triumphed over all of our enemies. And so what that means is this, church. It means that on the other side of the cross, every day is a day of good news. Every day is a day when Jesus is on the throne. Every day is a day of salvation. Every day is a day that God has triumphed over the things that held us in bondage. Every day is a day of victory. Today I'm asking you not to shrink back. I know it feels like the enemy's coming again and again and again, but let me tell you, it doesn't matter how many times he comes. The enemy does not want to destroy you more than God wants to protect you. He'll come. He'll defend you. Today, I want to give you some good news. As I was writing this sermon this week, I thought, man, we've, we've all heard so much bad news. 
I thought in my life, I need some good news. So here's what I started to do. I started writing down scriptures about who God is and about what God has done. I just started writing verses down. I started writing down every verse I could think of, and I started looking up some verses. And not even for the sermon, just for my own life, I just started reading these verses and declaring them to myself over and over again. And you know what I found? I found that as I was reading these verses, as I was proclaiming these verses, faith began to rise up in my heart all by itself. I didn't have to try. I didn't have to muster up something. It's as I remembered the power of God and the goodness of God that I found faith rising up in my heart. So today I want to end this sermon by doing something unique. I want to read to you these dozens of scriptures which brought life to my heart this week. They're not going to be on the screen. That would have taken me a whole week to write all these down. But just listen to these. Just listen to these verses and listen to the good news for your life. You ready for this? 2 Timothy 2.8, Paul says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead and descended from David. This is my gospel. This is my good news. Psalm 47.8 says, God reigns over the nations and God sits on his holy throne. John 1.5 says, The light, this is the logos, Jesus the word. The light shines in the darkness and yet the darkness cannot overcome it. Hebrews 1.3 says, Jesus sustains all things by his powerful word. Isaiah 40, 28 and 29 says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord, the everlasting God, is the creator of the whole earth. He neither faints nor becomes weary. There's no limit to his understanding. He gives strength to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Psalm 139 says this, it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I have been fearfully and wonderfully made. God, how precious are your thoughts towards me. How vast is their number. If I counted your thoughts toward me, they would outnumber the grains of sand. Lamentations 3 says, Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish, for his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Are you here in these, church? John 10, 28, Jesus says, no one will snatch my sheep out of my hand. Joshua 1, 9 says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Exodus 34 says, The Lord, the Lord, he's a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in loyal love and truth. He maintains loyal love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Psalm 30 verse 5 says this, God's anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may endure for a night, but there is a shout of joy in the morning. Isaiah 43 says, do not fear, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. The rivers will not overwhelm you. 
When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, and the flame will not burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, and I am your Savior. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are saved. Luke 10.19, he says, Look, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will by any means harm you. Deuteronomy 11.24 says, Every place the sole of your foot treads will be yours. Leviticus 26 says, Instead of your enemies chasing you, you will chase your enemies, and they will fall before you by the sword. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand. Mark 1.14 says, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God, saying the time is fulfilled and God's kingdom has drawn near. Repent and believe the good news. Can I keep going? Isaiah 1 says, come, let's reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are crimson red, they will be white as wool. Hosea 2 says, even though oftentimes we are unfaithful to the Lord, like an unfaithful spouse, here's what God says. God says, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in favor and in compassion. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you will know the Lord. Mark 10, 45 says, For even as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. John 19:30 says when Jesus had received the sour wine on the cross, he said, "It is finished." Matthew 27 says as Jesus died suddenly, the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom, signifying forgiveness of sins and access to the Lord. Daniel 7 says the son of man will be given dominion and glory and a kingdom so those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom will have no end. Zechariah 14.9 says, On that day, the Lord will become king over the whole earth. John 12 says, The ruler of this world is now cast out, and if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. 1 John 3.8 says the Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. John 16, Jesus says to his disciples before he goes to the cross, he says, you will have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Mark 16.6, on the third day after Jesus was crucified, the women go to the tomb and the angel says, you are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. Job 19.25, Job says, Yet as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. Revelation 1, John says, I saw the Son of Man, and his eyes were like great flames of fire, and his face was shining like the sun. He says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. 
I was dead, but look, I am alive forevermore, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. Come on, can I keep going, church? Ephesians 1 says that God raised up Christ far above all ruler and authority and power and dominion and every title given, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And he subjected everything under his feet, and he appointed him as head over everything. Romans 6, 4 says that you and I were buried with Christ by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. Colossians 2 says that when you and I were buried with Christ in baptism, we were also raised with him in faith through the working of God who raised him from the dead. He erased the certificate of death that we owed with its legal obligations, which was against us and opposed us. He took it away and he nailed it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and he disgraced them publicly and he triumphed over them in him. Colossians 1.6 says the gospel is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, even as it is today. Revelation 5 says the lamb purchased for God with his blood a people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And now he has made us to be a kingdom, priest to our God, and we will reign upon the earth. Ephesians 2.6 says he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 4 says that we can come boldly before the throne of grace so we can receive mercy and grace to help us in a time of need. Romans 8 says, I'm convinced neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus the Messiah, our Lord. Jude verse 24 says, God is able to keep you from stumbling and he will make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy. Ephesians 1.3 says, He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Can I read that one again? He's given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Galatians 3 says, If you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's children. You are heirs according to the promise. 1 Peter 1 says this, Because of God's great mercy, He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says we've been born into an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and it's kept in heaven for us. Romans 8.18 says the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. Philippians 2 says, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Habakkuk 2.14 says, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Revelation 21 verse 5 says this, the one seated on the throne said this, look, I am making everything new. Isaiah 25 says this, The Lord of armies 
will prepare a lavish banquet for all people on this mountain, a banquet of aged wine and choice pieces of meat. And on this mountain, God will swallow up death for all time, and the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, this is how it will be with the resurrection of the dead. Our bodies are sown in corruption, but they are raised in incorruption. They are sown in dishonor, but they are raised in glory. They are sown in weakness, but they are raised in power. Revelation 21 says this, in the new Jerusalem, there will be no temple because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. The new Jerusalem won't need the light of the sun or the moon because the glory of God will be our light and our lamp will be the Lamb. Revelation 22 says this, in that city there will be a tree of life whose leaves are for the healing of the nations and there will no longer be any curse and we will see God face to face. Church, let me tell you, that's some good news. You and I have been listening to the bad news long enough and it's time we get our gaze fixed on the good news. We get our ears fixed on the good news. And we can't just read the Bible in some shallow fashion. We have to go deep into the Word. Or rather, we have to let the Word go deep into us. We can't just let it sit on the surface. We've got to get into the Word and let it shift us, let it transform us. And as we do, we believe these things matter way more than whatever's happening out there in the world. These things matter so much more than whatever the government says or what social media says or whatever some person says about us or about the world. We have a confidence in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who's triumphed over the grave and the God who's making all things new. Church, today is a day of good news.